Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to DraftKings Network. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I f***ing love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Fear is hurt now. They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullfighters. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. All right, good to be with you Thursday, June 15th, episode 416 of the Anik and Florian podcast presented by DraftKings. Ray Longo has a fucking pen. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had to write something down. Like, uh, For the oh. first time in nearly 420 <laughs> episodes of the show, you got a penny. Is this your preparation for the podcast, or is this something totally unrelated? Well, no, no, no. Definitely. No, it's meant for the podcast, but the fact that I'm actually forgetting what I'm writing down is not, it's pretty scary. What did you just write down, Ray? <laughs> I forgot. I forgot uh, Nunez's opponent's name. <laughs> okay, that's preparation, though. It shows no, no, you guys. No, no, why? Because Grasso keeps popping into my head, and I, I can't. Uh, whatever. But I got it. I can I'm understand. Good go. I'm good to go. So Ray Longo just wrote down a Rene Aldana because he wants to be prepared to talk to the great Roger Crawl, chief corner of Amanda Nunes, who's going to join us shortly here on the program. And coming up in about 20 minutes, we will also be joined uh, by UFC welterweight, welterweight proper Mike Malott. I can't stop saying that name in a Boston accent. 10-1-1 for Mike Malott after a huge win at UFC 289. We'll get into some other stuff on Amanda Nunes. And then Ray Longo is hitting the pavement to Atlantic City, New Jersey, Charlie Campbell, Damian Nelson, Dennis Bazooka, all set to be featured. And we were talking a little bit before the show. So Kyle Dawkins is fighting in the co-headliner in NAC yeah. this weekend. Yeah, pretty exciting. And uh, also Aljo will be inducted into the Hall of Fame. How about so, that? The CFFC Which Hall, Hall of, of Fame? Fame? The CFFC C- Hall of Fame. Right, okay. right. Any, Hall of uh, Fame. Any Hall of Fame is good. Right. You're in a Hall of Fame, aren't you? Uh, maybe. Yeah, at least one. No, well, remind yeah. me because I know we talked about this. But. No, we might have been. I might be in the Jersey Hall of Fame, but I actually right. never went to pick up my award, so I don't know. Uh, yeah. Well, we all talk about a brick and mortar mixed martial arts Hall of Fame one day. That uh, isn't just the UFC Hall of Fame, so that guys like you and Roger Crawl can get uh, acknowledged. Because joining uh, us right now here on the Anakin Florian podcast, sorry, no Ken Flo, by the way, an operator of the science. 
Academy. You gotta wear MMA aside to be loud and proud today. <laughs> was the chief corner for the now retired greatest of all time, Amanda Nunes, and he is in Las Vegas back in the UFC corner this weekend. The great Roger Crawl is with us. Roger, what's up, my man? Hey, how we doing, guys? What's up, Coach? What's up, John? Hey, what's man, up, we're, Roger? We're riding this mojo into the week, man. We're riding this championship mojo in the fight week, you know? Hey, so it's awesome. Con- congratulations. Thank you, Coach. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, they. Uh, I'm, I'm here in my room. I tried to, you know, John, I think you know this. I'm not a computer tech savvy guy with my phone. Like the girls made fun of me all last week. Coach, we're huh. sending you all these attacks. I'm like, I can't even open anything. My phone's uh, like five years old. My laptop won't do the Google Chrome download, so I'm, uh, now I'm on my phone. But, but I'm here. I made it. I made it. <laughs> Roger, well, I'll the t- phone I'll tell you, is fine. Yeah, I'll tell you how bad I am, Roger. I don't even know what you're talking about, Google Chrome. <laughs> that it means absolutely zero to me. So you ever ahead of me? You got me beat. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. I'm I'm lost on this stuff, but I'm I'm glad I, I see. Well, I guess half my face here. I'm trying to turn my phone the right angle without getting the there. Oh, we go. there, there you we go. go. We're getting there. Without getting the sun, without getting the sunlight in there, you know. So, Roger, this is our 416th show. Ray has been on almost every one of those, and there have been varying efforts over the years to get him the proper equipment, but, you know, Ray Longo (laughs) just does his own thing. So we take whatever version shows up, but today he's on time. He's got headphones, so we're uh, we're very happy, but uh, we're very... Yeah, I feel better, John, because I, I feel like there's somebody else in the room now that shares my pain. That's on the same level. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Hey, I'm I'm minus the headphones. I don't even have headphones. Uh, uh, well, they forced you know, me to do this. My my, <laughs> my, screen, my screen's crooked. I got, I got my yeah. coffee too. Coach. It's I love it. I love it. This is it. This is real. This is what real is. Oh, you want some bullshit cookie cutter crap in here? Real. Let's go, Roger. Let's light them up. Go ahead, John. I'm sorry. I, I, I interrupted John. Sorry. No, you're good. Yeah. Ray, though, can be a little bit hypocritical, Roger, because sometimes when I try to talk about like his haircut or right. anything that isn't martial arts, he tries to steer the podcast back to MMA. You know, and I like the free flow. I like the free flow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. You're still basking in the glow, obviously, just a few days removed Man. from Amanda Nunes' yes. nomination of Irene Aldana. And for those who don't know, Roger is cornering Ronnie Lawrence this weekend at the UFC nice. Apex. By the way, man, second fight of the night. Is that right? Second prelim of the yeah, night? That's right, man. But, hey, the kid, he's going to start the show with a bang, you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, hey, he had his a couple shots on, like, pay-per-view cards. Obviously, he had a bad, bad fight the last fight. You know, kind of only, I mean, coach, the only the coaches and fighters really know what goes on in these training camps, man. This kid had a staph infection. We should have pulled him from the fight, but we let him go ahead and fight. And he lost that tough decision, you know, three, three and one now in the UFC. But the kid is, the kid is really special, man. And, and we're looking for something special on Saturday, you know, make it, make a statement. Ray, I know, is going to uh, get into Amanda Nunes and and everything that was your last eight weeks and your last fight week. But I just want to stay on Ronnie the Heat Lawrence, if I could, because in preparation this morning, I read a quote from him. And now Ronnie is starting to come clean, for back of a better way to put it, right? He's starting to come out with some of the health issues that he's dealt with. I think, Roger, in some part, because you might get some help, right? Like, my son has feeding issues, and no sooner do I go public with it, I got all these people coming at me with solutions. So I want to read you the drudge from Ronnie, and then you can sort of tell us what you know about this. So, direct quote from Ronnie Lawrence, the last two or three years, I couldn't figure it out, but I kept getting what I thought were ingrown hairs in my beard. 
And it ended up not being ingrown hairs. It's some type of cystic acne from your hormones being fucked up. So whenever I go out in the sun too long or I overtrain and don't get the proper rest and recovery, it seems like the acne comes out on my jawline. I know he's dealt with nausea and at times suboptimal training sessions and fight weeks and fight nights, Roger. So what can you tell us about his relative health right now, uh, two days out from this fight against Dan Argetta? Man, I tell you what, this is most definitely the healthiest he's ever been. Um, from the start of his journey on the Contender Series with me, he was, uh, you know, every fight week was like a nightmare when it came to the weight cut wow. and just his body, you know, breaking down and shutting down and just wondering if this kid's going to be able to get in there and perform, you know, knowing what he does in the training room and, uh, you know, how special he is, um, you know, with his skill set. But, uh, you know, not being able to really show it because of this, you know, this issue that he's dealt with, you know what I mean? It's and, and he has, you know, went out there and done fight of the night performances, you know, with that, you know, so, the, the, you know, the last fight I felt horrible as 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 coach because I didn't pull the fight. But it's like the kid literally did it three out of the four UFC fights where it was like a terrible weight cut. I mean, almost, you know, to the point of, you know, getting, you know, like I said, the the not really a staff, but those infections he gets are so bad and so draining, you know what I mean? And just to watch him go through God, that and show up and push through the fight, you know, and the, the fight before yeah. this, he actually uh, was on weight and he had such bad cramping that uh, this is when we were back at the residence in, he could not make it down to the scale to weigh in. I'm just trying to get this kid paid his show money and yeah. the ambulance had to come up. They carried him from the bathtub wow. to the strip the hospital. You know what I mean? So it was like, He's had definitely a, a rough uh, part of the journey uh, getting to this point. But I think, like I said, now he's got it figured out. Uh, now we got his training. He was doing a ton of overtraining. Um, you know, now we got it pretty much down to a science. His weight is the best it's ever been. I think we're going to have the best cut he's ever had. And, uh, you know, and just get to go and do what he can do, you know, and show what he can actually do out there. You know. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you, Roger, I'm sure there's nothing more frustrating when you know what your guy can do, but he's dealing yeah. with injuries. And Look, Weidman, 30, he's up to 30 surgeries. 30. Right. I mean, it's insane. Right. Like, I I don't know if he ever fought one fight healthy, you know, but you can't say right. that because then people would bitch at me like, well, you said the guy was in good shape. You're like, I, I'm going to start telling you what his injuries are now before the fight. Like, it does, you know exactly, what I mean? Like, you, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Exactly. don't. But sometimes, and that's how it is, man. Right. Yeah, that's how it is. And sometimes you're making excuses for the guy, right? Yeah. Without a doubt, but, but it's, you, you are telling the truth at that point. Like, sometimes right. the guy I see three weeks out or two weeks out, is the, it, he's unrecognizable after the weight cut. If he's got an injury, it just sucks, man. It really does. So right. hats off to Ronald right. Lawrence because he looks like an Energizer Bunny to me. That kid too. He looks like he's oh, yeah, he man. can do everything. Yeah, he, you know? yeah, he was usually by this day he's done. Like we out, we, we went out for a nice walk this morning. Like we we're still going to train this afternoon. Like he's yeah. he's really uh, you know really looking great. You know I'm super super excited for him. Good for him. Roger yeah, Crawl with yeah. us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So uh, total domination for the Lioness Amanda Nunes, and she goes yeah. out in style. It seemed yeah. as though, Roger, there was some rumbling as, as fight week was going on that maybe she was going to retire. And it certainly flies in the face of a lot of the conversation that the four of us had, you, me, her, and Nina, uh, at the right. Lioness studio the week before the fight. But essentially on the final time we saw her in a UFC locker room, I did write copy to it, and I said, Come Coming up, our final act, and might it be the final act in the career of Amanda Nunes? So, 
you probably had more insight than most into this. And now when I look back on the fight week, a lot of it does make sense. Um, but how much did you know about, you know, her potential to walk away if she dominated last Saturday night? Man, you know, Amanda is super, super smart. You know, she, she knew exactly what she wanted to do. Um, she didn't want the retirement to be like the main issue of fight week. You know, obviously we wanted to focus on the fight and her thing, you know, at, at, at that stage, it was just to enjoy the journey, man. You, you heard her talking about it from the time that she, she left ATT when she came back and she wanted to start the line of studio. That was her main goal was to just enjoy the journey, enjoy every day, going to the gym, enjoy the process and just really you know, just really be blessed for what we get to do, you know what I mean? And not have the, you know, have it be a, you know, not an environment she wants to do. So she, she's the one that created that environment, you know what I mean? So she, she knew going in, obviously, when they made the change from the Pena trilogy um, back to her, to Arena Danya, she, uh, you know, she knew that was going to be it. She really didn't even discuss it, honestly, with the coaches. That week I was, um, you know, uh, Cesar Carnero from MMA Masters, which was her first coach, you know, when she came to Florida, um, good friend of mine. Um, she actually, you know, told him and Daniel, you know, and I happened to be kind of there. So me and Cesar, that was probably, uh, probably on uh, Wednesday, you know, but really I never mentioned it to her. I just let her do her thing. We focused on the fight and she was so into just being in the moment. And I think that's, you know, obviously as coaches, that's one thing we're always trying to, you know, tell our fighters is, you know, you just got to, you got to stay in the moment, man. You got to enjoy the yeah. whole process. And especially obviously how important is that in the actual fight, you know what I mean? To, to, to be in there, you know? So yeah, it was just awesome, man. I'm still, I'm still teasing. I showed up here. I, I got home. I heard your travel is terrible. My, my Sunday travel is a nightmare too. I got stuck in DC. I got home super uh, late Sunday, uh, spent the day home Monday, came out here Tuesday. I mean, <laughs> yeah, how many trips have you been on like that, coach, right? You know, so uh, I rolled two, in, two, basically, two deep on two. Many. Like, guys, let's go. We got this championship mojo. Let's go. Let's just carry it in all week, you know? Yeah, but, but Roger, it might have been big, so it was, it was, but it's a lot better with a win than a loss. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. a win oh, makes those, that those trip. Those yeah. travels are terrible. Oh, uh, for sure. No doubt. Uh, no that's doubt. a horror show. You're coming home on a win. I don't it's really care what show. happens on a, on a loss. It's just magnified yep. and you're miserable. Yep. Miserable because so, you're thinking about should have put it all away, you know? Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. So I do want to get into the fight a little bit, and we appreciate Roger Crawl joining us from Vegas here early in the morning, a couple days out from Ronnie Lawrence fighting there. Um, but in terms of this result – Certainly, it stands to reason that in 18 to 24 months, there could be some world beater 135-pounder that Amanda Nunes, the ultimate competitor, may want to beat. But this feels very final to me. Had Irene Aldana done something spectacular and knocked out Amanda Nunes and this not been the perfect note on which to go out, uh, do you think it stands to reason, Raj, that uh, Aldana and Nunes are, are running it back and she's got one more in her? Absolutely, man. I just, I mean, you know, Amanda, we know, man, she, she wouldn't have wanted to go out like that. Just like she wasn't going to go out. If it was the trilogy with Pena, if she would have smashed her, she wouldn't have gone out like that either. Just cause she didn't want to retire on that note. You know what I mean? She, right. She wanted right. to retire right. on this note, you know? So, and she, and she really, you know, I mean, look at the history of our sport and what we do, you know, one of the few is to actually 
go out like that. You know, I mean, the only to go out is champ champ, but you know, to, to go out on her terms, you know what I mean? It's, it's just yeah, awesome. Love it. Love it. You know, that's, that's, yeah, man. Yeah, man. You know, we, we've seen for years, all these kids, all these people, they get in there, you know, they make their little bit of money. They spend it just as quick, you know, but her and Nina really, I mean, what a, what an awesome family. You know what I mean, just so, so happy for them and just so proud to, to just be a part of it, you know what I mean? Just just be a part of history, you know? It takes a few days to kind of settle in, like, what she actually did, you know, in the sport, but just in the fight and just her fight IQ and just just everything makes makes a coach's job real easy, you know what I mean? It's like everyone's yeah, trying yeah. to look for she, – she's just, just awesome, you know? Yeah, it was a perfect performance, and we could spend a quarter of an hour talking about the force that Nina Nunez is in her own right, sort of the general manager of this whole operation. But as far as the fight goes, Roger, how did it play out relative to your expectations going in? Because a lot of people, uh, while we want to credit Amanda, did feel underwhelmed by Randy Aldana a little bit, especially maybe late in the fight when uh, maybe we felt like she could bite down on the gum shield and take a few more chances. Yeah, I mean, hey, that's that's Amanda's doing. You know what I mean? Amanda's the one that dictated in there. It pretty much went exactly, you know, as we planned. Like, you know, for for a coach's perspective, when all the stuff you're training in camp, you know, is working and landing, it's just like, you know, there's nothing better than that. You know, of course, you know, you always think she's going to catch you with the one to finish. But I was, I was really, you know, wanting her not to get, you know, crazy when she started landing some good ones. I'm like, hey, if the knockout's there, it will come. But what I don't want is you to tag her once and then just start you know, get into a, a, a slug fest, you know, which could have been a little bit more dangerous, but, you know, uh, Amanda just, uh, just masterful, you know what I mean? She knew exactly uh, right from the first stab kick, that first front kick of the fight, you know what I mean? She caught her in the, in the body and we worked so much on that, on, uh, you know, her keeping her spacing and her distance. And we knew Irene was going to walk forward. We knew she kept a very high guard. So her body would be open. Um, but just the way like Amanda, her movements and stuff just kind of walked her into everything. You know what I mean? And just, you know, again, her vision and her, her fight IQ is just off the charts. You know what I mean? So it's like the train stuff and she does it, you know, I make a call, she, you know, she lands it. It's just like, you know, yeah. th those type of fights yeah. are awesome. man. Perfect, those perfect. type of fights are the best type of fights. You know? So. Yeah, I don't, I don't so, think it could have been, you know, with the exception of, of KO and her, you know what I mean? It couldn't have been any better. So, so, Ray, one thing that Roger mentioned at the airport was Amanda just pointing her toes at his midsection for the last two months, you know, even oh through maybe four inches oh, of padding. A, it's it's, it's insane what you guys go through. Yeah, it's not pleasant. Trust me, it's not pleasant, you know. Yeah. When you when yeah. you can stab somebody in the solar plexus with your toes, it's pretty it's pretty good, man. I'll be honest with you. But yeah, no, you have to. I look. Yeah. I can't. I can't take the beatings like I used to, Roger, anymore. So I kind of dictate a little bit more, get guys to hold. But uh, uh, I do miss those days. You know, I wish I, I wish I could do it, but it's just it's getting to the point. Yeah, I can't get kicked yeah. in the leg anymore. You know, so it's crazy. But no, hey, real quick, I, I saw you, that. Man. Yeah. Yes. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I saw that you were at the Degerberg Academy. Is that is that correct? Oh, that was, um, yeah, that was in Chicago, I think, 2015. Um, how yeah, I how long were you there for? I was there for just a weekend, man. I got, uh, they promoted oh, me to right. like 52. And I, I kind of, uh, you know, I, I was originally a karate guy. You know, I was, I was a karate kid in the 80s and 90s. I came from Kempo. And then, um, you know, 
after so many years and stuff and getting promoted in, the, in those type of styles, I was just like, man, this is not even what we're doing anymore. We're doing MMA. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah. So we kind of created our own system as I know, you know, you guys have as well as, as most of our, you know, academies do. And it's like, I kind of wanted to get a, get a credit and lay a foundation for being able to be able to promote my guys, you know, up in some, some type of system. And that's kind of really where the MMA science, uh, you know, came from is oh, just wow. being able to have a, a ranking and a, and a level system for mixed martial arts, you know, like they've always done, you know, back to the days of Junri and Taekwondo. And yeah, yeah, well, Ed yeah. Park and, uh, John you know, doesn't so, know so what you're kind of, talking about. <laughs> John, yeah. John has no idea. No, why I bring up the Degaberg because I know he used he used to bring in all the Jeet Kune Do guys back in the day in like the yeah, 80s. Yeah. I don't know if you were a yeah. part of that or not, but there were some really talented guys that I still hold near the, you know, near yeah, the heart, no. you know. Yeah, well, Dan Inasanto, who was like oh, Bruce big time. Uh, yeah, know, he he signed my you know certificate for fifth degree. So yeah, the, yeah all that's of what I'm talking about. Love, love it, love it, love it. Yeah, love the, it. That's the old, that's the old school man. Oh <laughs> man, that's right. Say so we're leaving people in the dark right now. But those were no, really, those <laughs> John, those were really good yeah. times to me, man. Everything was new and fresh, and you know uh, the seminars were always yeah, good. You know, like I Dan, I always thought was probably the best martial artist I've ever seen in my life only because he had such yeah, a, a phenomenal, yeah, phenomenal martial arts. Phenomenal. Yep. And, and yep. started doing uh, jujitsu with the Machados probably in his late 60s, which is crazy. Right. You know, maybe yeah, early, crazy. maybe early. But yeah, great times back then, man. Really good times. So no, yeah, Ray's actually see the guys like Go ahead, Roger. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. No, I was saying to like guys from that era have kind of a foresight without a doubt tired of snooty wines and their old wine culture confused by words like malolactic fermentation yeah we are too so with 19 crimes you can do the fancy schmancy tilt sip smell routine or don't 19 crimes is the rebel of wine and culture telling the stories of rogues and rule breakers who overcame adversities from convicts banished to Australia to the legendary icon Snoop Dogg himself, 19 Crimes Wine is defiant by nature, bold in character, and always uncompromising. 19 Crimes, the official wine of UFC. Pick up in stores nationwide or online at 19crimes.com. Enjoy responsibly. 2024, Sonoma, California. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm yeah. on my phone, like I said, because I couldn't download the thing on my laptop. But uh, yeah, um, those guys in that era that had the foresight to kind of um, maybe forecast a little bit the evolution of of MMA, you know, um, 100%. was just one hundred percent. Yeah, and even me, I came from a, a school, a karate school, like a sport karate school in upstate New York. A guy, Steve Lavalley, who was uh, a black oh, yeah, belt. Sure. From the lineage of uh, Ed Parker, really. But even in those days in the early 80s, you know, he was, you know, boxing and my coaches were kickboxing for PKA. And it's like, you know, uh, I think my first seminar I ever went to was like Joe Lewis, you know, as, as, a, as a kid. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, just to see from that era, you know, from those days to what we have now just is insane. You know what I mean? But it's, uh, you know, yeah. So that's to, to go crazy. back to 
Dagaberga. That was 2015. I think I went there for a weekend and they had a whole, you know, big ceremony and uh, I was promoted by all those, uh, you know, kind of OG uh, martial arts legends. I would say. Yeah, that's crazy, yeah. man. I, 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 I really love those days. And I, like you're right. I, I was yeah. considered more of a renegade because I wasn't really like, yeah, a follower yeah, they, and they, I broke, yeah, you know, but, uh, Eva Lavalia had a big name, you know. Kempo was a great – that was a great style, too. I loved Kempo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, my, my first partner was a Kempo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good style, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Really cool. Ray yep. the Renegade. Yeah, and then I went back after that. Not a follower. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know you know uh, how it was, Roger. Yeah. Those guys would do seminars. Guys were following them all over the place, but – I, you know, I just was never that man. I always knew there's always a better way. And I thought that was the Jeet Kune Do way, you know, always to look and, yeah. you know, improve on your attributes and shit like that. So it kind of worked for me. Percent. So I'm, I'm happy. A thousand percent, you know. man. Like, you know, obviously, you know, the Jeet Kune Do, the Bruce Lee system, um, which, you know, Ed Parker really was the guy responsible for bringing Bruce Lee to the United well, States. But these were guys that were like, you know, and these guys were principle based, you know, they were based on not, you know, the name of the moves or what the moves was, but oh, how can I make this move down. work? You know, they were so open-minded, not like closed mind. Like back in those days, man, it was still like, well, our style is better than your style. And this is way, way before 93 in the UFC. This was, you know, back 100%. when I'm going to come to your dojo on a Saturday. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? We're going to, yeah. we're going to do battle, you know? So yeah, 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 it yeah, was, yeah. uh, it was very refreshing. Principles is, you know, mindedness. Yeah. Yes, for sure. From, from a, from a genre when it was just like you know this style is the only style and that's it you know what i mean so that's just yeah not, what you know, obviously yeah. not what it you know yeah i love it awesome love it. yeah when i saw so it right. go man it brought me right to that i was like wow this seminars everybody used to yeah. go to that place like everybody yeah. did a seminar yeah. there yeah he had at one and point man the uh biggest academy like he had man over a thousand crazy. students in chicago i think what crazy. back in the 90s yeah, because when I when I first came to South Florida was '92, and I started uh, working at a guy's karate school, East West Karate guy named Greg Silva. And at that point, it was the Dagenberg was like number one, and we were number two as far as dojos, like commercial, as far as the size of like the the dojo and stuff. You know what I mean? But you know that was that was kind of short lived because it ends up being like a you know a factory of belts and just you know not yeah, not something yeah. I wanted. To not something I wanted to really do. I knew I wanted to make a living in martial arts, but, you know, not at the cost of, uh, you know, having a bunch of 12-year-old black belts running around that don't even know how to uh, have fun. I <laughs> hear you. Yeah, I never got the commercialization side down to my school ever. <laughs> yeah, Still to this yeah. day. It's not Yeah, it's not uh, I, I keep my mind small now, family-based. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have a great, great team, great coaches, and just, you know, trying to teach, you know, more, way more than just the martial arts skills but bringing up this new generation of kids and just teaching them the, the martial arts way and the, the discipline yeah, respect yeah, awesome. and everything that goes along with it. that's really what we're cool. about down here you know yeah man and if you yep. want to see my son hunter four years old <laughs> you can sir. find him at the mma that's science academy yeah, next week that's sunrise that's florida that's and if you want to follow roger on instagram i would go to at mma science academy Raj. You know we go way back. You've been at this yes, a long sir. time. A lot of people know you from way back when. American Top Team Sunrise, no longer affiliated. It's the MMA Science Academy. This man has been at it forever. And, uh, you know, I was so excited when Amanda aligned with you to this extent. 
and uh, yeah. I'm just so happy uh, to see you know her right off into the sunset with you right right there alongside. You, so yeah. congratulations, yeah, enjoy it. Get a fucking W with Ronnie Lawrence, and we'll Let's see you. Uh, go, we'll see you at the Academy go, next week, go, brother. Man. Awesome, Rajay. Really Thank nice, you guys. nice Thank talking you, to you, buddy. Good luck hey. this weekend. Coach, pleasure, man. Pleasure. Awesome, yeah. man. Thank you, guys. Congrats. Right, there he is. Do it. Do it. Roger Crawl with us here on the Anakin Florian Podcast and Ray Longo trying to get Ken Flo fired by doing what? research on Roger Crawl today. I mean, Andy, <laughs> you're digging deep, man. I'm impressed. I, I got well, you back for last week when I stood there like a momo and didn't say a word. Go. All right. Well, I know I have 15 more minutes with Longo, so yeah. we're very excited for him to be a part of our next conversation because now with us on the guest line and with us, of course, right on the screws at his scheduled time, because everything he does, he does right. One of the big stars last weekend at UFC 289, UFC welterweight contender, proper Mike Malott. I'm just excited <laughs> seeing your face. I can call you a welterweight contender, even if it's a number 16 or 17 that I don't see on my UFC rankings. Congrats on a huge weekend, man. Beautiful. Obviously, there was a lot of pressure on you to perform, and uh, we're very happy it went the way it did. How have the few days since UFC 289 been for you, brother? Thanks for having me on, gentlemen. It's uh, it's cool to cool to be on with you. And Longo, thanks, Ben. I didn't know yeah. you're going to be here. This is awesome. Uh, hey, Mike, um, I, I will say one thing. You have to have a hard time selling anybody you're a fighter. This is a model. I, li- I feel like I'm looking at a model, John. This can't be a fighter. Do we got a guy it's from a Ralph? Lo- it looks like a guy from Ralph Lauren. I mean, I, this is crazy. <laughs> no, but congrats, buddy. Yeah, I thought I'm- you looked fantastic. And I Thank tell you, you, when I'm watching you fight, I'm I'm thinking GSP, man. I think you. you're really and, and with with more finishing skills, believe it or not. So I think you're right on the money, man. I love watching your fight. Thank you so much. That means a lot. That's that's yeah. that's really nice to say, man. Thank you. Um, sorry, what what was the question, John? So I guess I'm just curious. Like in some respects, it's like walking into your new life, right? I mean, I yeah. know I'm sure you're getting stopped in Canada at times, but uh, you know, this show in a lot of respects was built about around what you could do in your nation. And obviously the five athletes that competed before you held serve as well. Um, But how does it feel to sort of live up to the hype and walk out the other side? It feels amazing. You know, like we talked about it a lot fight week, just the gratitude for the moment in general and the opportunity, like, that's something I've been wanting to do since I was 13 years old that there's, wow. you know, win, win, lose or draw. That was a, a dream come true. Being able to be on a pay-per-view and represent my country on the world stage at home and then kind of to throw some extra privilege and potentially some, some pressure on top of that is like, I'm the last Canadian. I'm the one holding it down. It was pretty clear that I was kind of the one being marketed as like, this is the the Canadian. Maybe we should be, be watching uh, you know from the UFC's perspective it seemed like they really were trying to push me and I'm, I'm super grateful for that and man I'm so glad it went well like <laughs> you know it's like you know you, you, you try to just keep things in mind like of, of course the crowd's going to play a factor and and for me it plays like a po- it played a positive factor I love performing in front of people and and it you know part of me was thinking like okay it's going to be a big crowd and even when I walked out there I'm like I visualized it bigger. I can go, I can go a lot bigger. I can go a lot bigger. Like we might have to do the Rod Rogers center in Toronto at some point and do 55,000 again, like they did for UFC, you know, 129. Like I could do that. I could double this easily, you know? (laughs) Um, but, uh, but it was, it was amazing, man. It felt so good to walk out there. Uh, aside from, you know, the fans almost taking me out 
uh, on, on the initial walk. Right. Um, you know, once we got past that, it felt amazing, man. Like feeling that support from the crowd, feeling the support from the fans and, and, and everything all week leading up to the event. Like, you know, we couldn't leave the hotel lobby without having a ton of fans come in saying like, Hey man, we believe in you. We're happy for you. We're excited to watch you. And you know, you can go a couple of ways with that and view it as pressure or view it as privilege. And, and, you know, we were just all week long, like pressure's a privilege. This is, this is, you know, a blessing to have this opportunity. And, uh, I just got in there and felt really loose. Like it didn't feel like the moment was overwhelming at all. Of course, like, you know, fight weeks a lot and fight day is a lot. And everyone has, you know, ups and downs throughout the day and, and, you know, good moments and bad moments, but, we, we put so much work into the mental preparation for this fight and then the physical preparation, like the, the fight before the, the February 25th fight was the best I'd ever prepared for a fight. And I was like, man, is it ever going to get better than this? Like, is this mm. as good as it's ever going to get? And this last camp blew it out of the water. Like wow. we found so many little things to adjust to make thing, to make the camp so much better. I was like, Oh no, I'm, I'm so much better prepared for this fight than I was the fight before and the fight before that had been my best performance to date. And I felt like this one was probably my best performance to date. At one point, one of our producers asked if Mike Malott had seen the rail and collapse. I said, are you kidding me? Do you see the kid's agility? Like, absolutely. He saw it. And we're very thankful that, you know, that only became the storyline that it did. I have so many things I want to get into with you. And I promise I'm going to let Ray Longo get in here. But in terms of this particular physical challenge in Adam Fugit, right? Sometimes there's a negative connotation when somebody says showcase fight, right? Yeah. And it can mean, oh, Mike Malott's a six to one favorite to beat Adam Fugit. Longo, that better not be your fucking dog. It better be Malott. <laughs> well, I'm in a car, man. It's not mine. <laughs> this guy, he's doing a, an interview from an Uber. How big can I possibly be? He's right. in an Uber so, right now. All right, I'm going to try to stay on track. So Adam Fugit, though. So you're minus 200. So it's not as though you're some overwhelming betting favorite. Right. Adam Fugit's yeah. a good fighter, albeit not with a wealth of UFC experience, right? right? So like, I felt like you handled this fight exceedingly well. You said to us, you know, he's got no major holes, but I believe I can, you know, force a mistake. And you certainly did. Um, but what were your overall thoughts on the short fight that we did see here? So kind of the fight before the fight, like you guys were asking me, he made some fair points where he's like, look, everyone's kind of counting me out, but I think it's kind of an even fight. I saw, and he's like, I see a lot of, you know, afterwards watching some of his interviews, I, I you know, I, I don't pay too much attention to what my opponents are doing. I prefer to focus on myself. So I went back and watched some interviews and just kind of, you know, been focusing, you know, on things we can do moving forward throughout the fight. So I saw him say, he's like, we're actually like kind of similar fighters in certain ways. And there are like some distinct differences, but I, I do see a lot of similarities between us. And, you know, he, he is a very high level fighter. And like you said, he doesn't have a lot of UFC experience, but he had the same number of fights as I did. Right. So we both had two fights in the UFC. He's actually had considerably more UFC cage time than I have. Right. right. He had the three rounds with, uh, with Morales, uh, taken on short notice, a fight that I had him winning. I had him up two rounds going into the third, a fight that he took on nine days notice. And he's a big welterweight. Like he struggled to make weight for our fight. He was the last guy to weigh in. He looked drawn yeah. out from what I'd heard. So, you know, like you take a fight on nine days notice against a 12 and 0 kid, your first time in the UFC on a pay-per-view in front of a crowd, you've got to lose all that weight in nine days. You don't get to train for it. Like that's a lot to deal with and to still have an excellent performance against like a good guy. Yeah. That tells me a lot, right? He's a Muay Thai champion. He's a 
you know, a, a came from a, a Muay Thai, who's a, who's a Muay Thai champion that also comes from a wrestling background. You know, that's like, dude, that's a, that's a well-rounded guy and a brown belt in jujitsu, like competed in professional jujitsu for submission underground. Like, dude, okay. This guy has every box checked. It's not like this guy is athletic with power and a good sprawl. Like this guy's got answers everywhere. Right. Um, plus the physical, the physical, uh, boxes that he checks. He's got a 77 inch reach. He's Southpaw. He's technical, but he's also kind of like awkward it's like dude those are like those are tough things to deal with right so so there was a lot going into this and then to add on top of that like no one no one in canada's given this guy a shot he's not a well-known name so people are thinking it's a showcase fight like oh they're just teeing malad up for for a for an easy win it's like dude this is the ufc there aren't easy wins this guy's good this is a legit fight and then just add that pressure of like, okay, everyone's expecting me to walk through them. So even if I win like a close decision or a close back and forth fight, like that's going to seem underwhelming, you know? So there was some pressure to like put on a serious performance, you know, and on, on top of that little, like, where's your career going to go after and some, some, some sponsors. And, you know, we started working with the Nelk boys that was just getting ironed out. So I'm like, okay, well I need to put on a good performance to make sure this stays and, you know, some good things happen in my future. But also at the same time of like, uh, you know, we talked about acknowledging every potential outcome. It's like, dude, I love my life. And the outcome of a fight isn't going to change the things that truly matter to me. You know, I I get to do this. This is a privilege at the end of the day. I have an amazing family. I have an amazing fiance. I do what I love every single day with people that I love. I love my coaches are like the people I'm closest with in my life. So every morning I get to wake up and do my favorite thing, perfect martial arts with my favorite people. And I get to come home to my family and my my fiance every day. Like an outcome of a fight's not going to change that. The only thing it can do is like add to it and ensure that I get to continue to do this with my life. So, you know, I, I try to, to shift the perspective and, and recognize, you know, the, the privilege that's in front of me and, and then, uh, you know, let go of everything be like, look, man, at the end of the day, there's rankings, there's money, there's this, there's that. It's just a fist fight in a cage. So get in there and fight this dude. You know how to fight. I have, I, I, I feel like I understand. I feel like I understand MMA really well and coaching for a long time at team alpha male. I think helped with that a lot. Helped me understand fighting. So one hundred percent. Yeah, I think it's one hundred percent. You know, I might have done it a little bit backwards. You know, most most guys are are fighters and then get into coaching. So I kind of did it a little bit backwards for most guys. But I feel like there was a lot of value in those years of coaching. A lot of value in those years of planning with teammates and planning for fighters. And making those 20 some odd walks as a UFC coach before getting into contender series myself, there was a lot of value in that. And the walk this time, again, other than the almost accident at the beginning felt very familiar and it felt very comforting. Like I felt very calm on the walk. And as we got closer to the fight, the more relaxed I got. And once Bruce Buffer, once, uh, you know, Bruce Buffer called my name and once, uh, you know, big Dan said, all right, you ready? You ready? It's like, buddy, I've never been more ready. Tell me to go do this. 
Man, I tell you, a lot, lot, Joe, there's a lot to unpack there, believe it or not. But well, really beautifully put, well said. Man, you're okay. a, I could tell you're a grounded guy. You're in a good spot. Your priorities are in line. But the, the thing with the teaching, and I, I make my fighters teach because, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the old saying, you want to get good at something, teach it. And it will mm-hmm. help you become bulletproof in every yeah. area that you're teaching. So for what you did go, like you said, doing it backwards – Man, I I think you're looking superb. Your head's on the right. Your your head's in the right spot. Technically, I think you look great. I mean, I don't know. You got a great career ahead of you, and I I kind of like the way you did it because I think it it makes logical sense. And I tell you, I think even Aljo teaching at the school, he would go over the things that he wants to work on too. You know, that are part of MMA just made them better and better. White and I remember before he even. Maybe he had one or two fights. I took him to corner with me just so he got used to the UFC. I wanted to experience mm-hmm. that. Like you said, by the time you're walking, you already made that walk 20 times. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think I think it's a fantastic story. Love it. Thank Love you. listening to you talk. I think you're dead on with everything you're saying. Dead Thank on. You. Yeah, Thank really you. good hey, stuff, man. Ray, I know you got to get to the gym. Get on out of here. I'm going to spend 10 more minutes right. with Mike Malott. We'll talk to you again on Monday. You're the fucking man. Awesome. And Mike, really was a pleasure. Love listening to you talk. I'm glad I got a chance to stay on and, and hear your story. I think it's fantastic. Keep doing what you're doing. You're the GSP of, of Canada right now to me. Keep keep it going, buddy. You got, and, and keep your priorities in order like you already have. All right, guys. I'm out. Take it easy, Thank John. You. Thank you, Coach. Thank you, Mike. Take care. You have to welterweight Mike Balot staying with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. And as your fights get bigger, we'll be able to tell more of your story, right, in terms of this passion to compete being reignited, right? Because you first set foot at Team Alpha Male in 2015. And at that point in time, it was the goal was to get to the UFC right then and there. And at some Mm -hmm. point there was a pivot. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I, I first got down to Alpha Male 2015 as a featherweight which is funny to look back on and, and think about that. But uh fucking monster at 145 pounds, folks. Yeah, it was it was weird, man. I was a bit of a late bloomer and just started my career at 45 and it made sense at the time. And then just every year it's like two pounds, two pounds, two pounds. And by the time I had my last fight, I was like, I'm never doing this again, man. Yeah. We're going we're going up. And uh yeah, man, I I feel a lot more comfortable at welterweight. Like uh I, I, I like this weight class for me. I like this. I've felt great competing at this weight class, but yeah, the, um, the, the, the goals shifted, you know, I got down to alpha male with the intention of becoming a world champion and, and getting into the UFC and chasing those dreams. And I guess the kind of the goalpost shifted at a certain point where I, maybe I felt burnt out and my priorities changed and I just, it went from, being a young invincible kid to just feeling like it just, I honestly just didn't want to do it anymore. I got to a point where I was like, dude, I just like, I'm about to, you know, I'm looking for a fight because I feel like that's the next logical thing to do. Like, okay, well, if I win another fight, maybe I get called to the UFC and like that idea didn't excite me anymore. I was like, all right, well, how long do I have to do that before I get to stop doing that? It was like the point that I got to, I was like, dude, this isn't baseball, man this isn't, this isn't soccer. Like if you're not enjoying this, don't do this. And I was making, and I was making 800 and $800 at the time. Like you're, you're putting all this work in and doing all this stuff for, you know, by the time you pay everybody and costs of camp, you're in the negative every time. Right. So it's like, why, why am I doing this? And 
luckily got into coaching and, and Faber and had a, had a role for me. And uh, I got to just live a dream life for a while, helping my friends and traveling the world and training and learning new things and, you know, messing up in the corner and, and having, having fun. I, I was telling uh, one of my cornermen yesterday. <laughs> he, uh, so it's his first time cornering in the UFC, right? He's a, an elite level jujitsu coach and he's been a jujitsu coach for a long time. Um, he's been working with me at, for, for a few years and he's been for a long time for like 10 years, but he's been uh, working more with mixed martial artists the last like three years, four years. And this was his first time cornering at the UFC. I kind of actually, like Ray said, I brought him with me into California to train and then coach some guys that he didn't know. I'm like, just make, make the walk with me a few times, especially because you're going to start coaching more and more, like get comfortable, do like a hundred walks to fights, even if they're amateur fights, right? Get right. used to it and you'll be more comfortable. So it was his first time coaching at the UFC and he's such a like good hearted, honest guy. And he's like, man, I just want to do well. I make, I want to make sure I'm like, dude, you're going to do great. Don't worry about it. And then we were chatting after he's like, yeah, you know, this is how I thought I did. Well, these are the things I want to work on. Or, you know, maybe I'm overthinking. I'm like, dude, you're overthinking it. You did a great job. And, and I'm like, you did way better than I did the first time I went between rounds as a coach in the UFC. The first time I went between rounds as a coach was with, uh, when Darren Elkins, fought alexander volkanovsky so first things first let's talk about my my first three corner experiences right right right, right first fight truto ishihara fights some unknown russian guy named Pyotr jan making his ufc debut <laughs> brutal <laughs> round and the second one darren elkins who's ranked at the time on a six fight win streak takes a fight against an unknown australian alexander volkanovsky fight number three right. Cody Garbrandt fights for his title again against TJ Dillashaw. I'm like, damn it, man. Like, can we just like get somebody beatable, right. please? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh, but yeah, so second fight, I'm cornering Elkins. The first fight I cornered didn't go between rounds. Second fight is the Elkins fight. And with like five seconds left in the fight or in the round, the first round, Elkins gets caught badly and gets like held up by the cage, kind of covers up for a second and the ref jumps in. I'm the third guy, right? Like I'm number three. So the other two coaches go in and one guy stays out of the cage. And I'm like, looking at Elkins. I'm like, is he okay? He's wobbly. Shit. He's wobbling. Is he, is he all right? All right. They're getting him on the stool. Okay. He's, is he hurt? Is he hurt? And I'm like, what, what am I doing? I'm still in the corner. Get up behind the cage. It took <laughs> like 15 seconds. Like I was so like, shit, is he hurt? To real like it took me like 15 seconds to realize like oh i'm supposed to be up behind the cage bolts up the stairs and right. right as i get there danny's like and then this malat go and did just realize that i had just gotten there I'm like okay cool nobody realized this gave him some advice how about that you know I'm you're like, making me want to go to fight pass and re-watch it and it actually <laughs> now i can acknowledge that you are human because i don't say this to butter you up but like dude you have ice water in your veins and perhaps <laughs> literally i know you tripled down on the cold exposure during training camp you told us that and it helps you sort of deal with all the different things that come with fighting a man in a cage for a living yeah. but bro like you just seem, at least right now, and we'll see as the fights get bigger, main events, and we'll talk about that, but you seem either immune to pressure or whatever the fuck you have done mentally to get yourself to be calm and deal with that pressure. Keep fucking doing it because I know I'm not a fighter, but I've called almost 300 UFC live events and I am performing, right? It's a different nerve, right? Or adrenaline that I'm dealing with on show day, right? But whatever you're doing, bro... Um, you, you, you seemingly have mastered the mental, if I can say that. Thank you. I, uh, I put a lot of work into it. So my, my mental coach and I, Danny Patterson, 
have been working together for over 11 years. And I, I think of him as absolutely valuable as every other coach that I have to my game. Like in the same way that I wouldn't go, I think I mentioned this in the broadcast meeting, right? I wouldn't go into a fight without a jiu-jitsu coach and, and training my jiu-jitsu. It's the same thing for me with, with my mental game. Like even, you know, I, I put a lot into it and, and uh, that was one of the things that we adjusted this fight. We like tripled down on the mental work, right? We put, I, I put so much mental training into this, this camp. And that's part of the reason I want a little bit of a break before I, I book a next fight or I really start talking about an opponent or a, a date is because I just pour so much focus into this. And it's like, it's a lot. I've been in camp for basically seven, a little over seven months, right? Like November, I got my, Fury grappling match right after that went into the Johan fight right after that went into this. So it's been like, you know, a couple days of, I went to, I went to Cuba with my fiance and her family for four days after my last fight. But even still, I had the date already. I'm like, Oh shit, it's June 10th. I'm doing like sprints outside the resort and stuff. And we're doing, right. you know, doing like, it's like, it's more just like the, you can't shut it off. So, uh, so I'm excited to have a couple weeks of downtime, but, I do also love pouring my passion and, and focus into this, right? It requires that, but I also do enjoy it. You need a little recovery in between, but there are a lot of mental exercises that I was doing throughout this camp. We picked them up even more throughout fight week and we picked them up even more throughout fight day. You know, you get the ups and the downs, but we really have excellent tools to battle them. And, and I, I'm, I also gain confidence knowing that with my last four fights, Although fight day can be a little bit up and down, every time I've stepped in the cage, I feel at peace and I feel quiet and I feel I had written on my mirror, uh, peaceful and violent for, for, for fight week, right? Like that's the state I feel like yeah. I'm in when I get in there. I'm like, I know who I am. I'm going to show you who I am, you know? So, uh, and if I, if I, if I just believe in myself and trust the training that I have, I, I really feel like these stoppages are going to keep coming. It's, you know, like I said, that was the, probably the best guy I've ever fought at very least the best guy I've ever fought at welterweight, you know, Hakeem yeah. Dawood, was an absolute animal. Um, but that's a featherweight, you know, this might be the best guy I've ever fought, right? He was really good and he, he still hasn't gotten the, the respect he deserves, but I just knew I was getting the stoppage. And I, I, I feel like we pour so much physical and mental training into the right, into the right places, right? Like he, I almost think of it like stacking chips. You know, if you, the, there's, you know, maybe 10 categories in MMA that kind of encompass MMA and you get like a, a certain amount of chips, there isn't enough right. time to allocate for everything to become a 10 out of 10 right away or, or quickly. It's like, where do you want to put the chips this week or this fight or this training session or where do you want to allocate your resources? And I feel like we're doing a really good and efficient job of improving and sharpening, like finding new things to learn without constantly jumping to the next flashy thing and refining the things that we're already good at in the basics without being too simple and not learning enough or, or playing it, you know, realizing how to play it safe without being boring and not getting finished. Like, I feel like we're dancing the line really well and I feel like we get better at it each camp as a team and, and we're all really close. Like it's, it's funny. We're not all out of the same gym. We're all out of essentially, you know, all different places. Like my striking coach has a gym. My wrestling coach has a gym. Right. My 
I had two coaches at the gym. And then my mental coach lives on the other side of Canada. So I talk with him on the phone and he comes out every couple of months. So much but, of my prep today, bro, was like rooted in your coaches because Cruelin and I go way back because of him as a UFC cup man. So I've gotten to know him and just talking about Chris Prickett, Niagara top team and this wrestling heavy gym that was rearing yeah. its head all across that fucking arena on Saturday night. Right. Like I could talk to you for hours. Right. Even just about the dynamic with your coaches. Um, but I do think the calendar right now kind of will allow for you to maybe just chill for six or eight weeks, right? I mean, you got Ian Gary, number 13, fighting eighth-ranked Jeff Neal. That's in August. You got Jack Della Maddalena, who's 14th, fighting Sean Brady, who's number nine. Michelle Pereira, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Let me close with this in being respectful of your time. You graduated university in Halifax. The rumblings of a Halifax show later this year. Does a main event interest you at this point? Do you not want to fight? five rounds for your next fight, right? It would seem to me like you are on a trajectory where at some point uh, there's going to be a main event in Canada that could come your way. So what's your appetite for ranked opposition versus a, a UFC headlining spot and all of that before we let you go? Honestly, I hadn't even really considered that they would go main event yet. Um, if that's what happens next, I'm down. Like I said, every jump that I've been doing feels like a massive jump. Right. Main event contender series, fighting a 10 fight veteran in my debut in a, a, a sold out arena, then on a main card against another tough Canadian, then then this, the main card pay-per-view, like everything seems like a big jump. So at first I'm like, oh shit, main event, would they do that? Like, you know what? It's not out of the realm of possibility. And based on how we're training and, and how I've been performing, I think that's very doable. I'm, I'm really, I, I, we will be 100% prepared for that if that's what happens. Um what I, I do kind of expect is next time they come to Canada, call me. Like, when are you coming back? I, you know, I've, I've heard some rumblings of some cards as well. And, uh, you know, so I expect to hear about that when they, you know, when they solidify that, I expect to hear from them and say like, so you're going to be on this card, right? I'm like, oh, of course. But uh, I, I kind of expect if it's, you know, if it's a fight night, I wouldn't be shocked if I either have the same slot or a co-main event. And if it's, if it's a pay-per-view, then the same slot would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, that was the biggest fight I could have possibly had at that point in my career. Um, so it's, it's kind of like the Mickey fight again, where I'm like, dude, that was a, a bigger fight and a bigger opponent than I thought they were going to give me. So I'm curious to see what they're going to do next. Like where yeah. they're going to go. Right. Cause it was like, I thought Mickey would be my third fight, something like that. Like a vet, everybody knows, like I've show, I've proved I, I, I deserve this spot and now fight someone everyone knows on a pay-per-view, right? So I was like, man, I, I feel like where do you go from here? Because this was the biggest it could have been at that point. So um, I'm more just like kind of excited to see what happens. You know, it's 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 corny, but like one, one uh, I haven't seen the movie, but I saw a clip from a movie. It's Robin Williams in something. And, uh, you know, somebody somebody says to him, he's like, yeah, man, I don't know what happens next. I don't even know what I'm going to do tomorrow. And Robin Williams says, right. how exciting. And I'm just huh, like, right. fuck. Well, you know what? Like, how exciting, man. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what, what my next opponent's going to be. I don't know where I'm going to fight next. I don't know what they're going to do with me. Like how exciting, man. How exciting is our life? 
You know? Well, and how exciting is it that the fan base largely and for us, right? Joe Rogan says we're just professional fans, right? We share that enthusiasm. Like I'm very excited to manifest Mike Malott in a main event here today on the Anakin Florian yeah. podcast. One bit of advice, though. You don't need to fight Jack Della Maddalena in Perth, Western Australia. I've been to Perth, Western Australia twice. Yeah. And oh, yeah. just call me before you accept a fight that far away from home <laughs> because there's so much that goes into it. You know, it's just far, bro. It is far, man. Like I said, they're coming to Canada probably two or three times a yeah, year. Yeah. I'm fighting two or three times a year. Call me when you come home. Yeah. Proper Mike Malat. We appreciate the time. Try to enjoy the fruits, man. I know you're enjoying the journey, but after a big win like this, enjoy the fruits with your family. And uh, we appreciate your time today, sir. We'll see you soon. Appreciate your time, too. Thank you for having me on, John. Pleasure, brother. All right. There he is. Proper Mike Malat with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So one thing that I didn't get to and partially by design. Oftentimes in this sport, some of the highest profile opportunities and fights materialize on short notice. Even if you just look at Bilal Muhammad individually, his fight against Leon Edwards was the result of him stepping up on short notice. UFC 288 needed a co-main event, and perhaps Gilbert Durinio Burns retroactively regrets that decision to take that fight because his body broke down in that fight, right? But sometimes there are short-notice opportunities that materialize, and I do wonder for someone like Mike Malott how equipped he would be to take advantage of one of those fights. I think he's on a tremendous trajectory. You know, he can carry the torch and the flag, I think, for Canada. And even if he loses a fight here or there, you see, not unlike Israel Adesanya and Alexander Volkanovsky, mentally he's so forged that he's not so individually tied to a singular result that he couldn't get past it. But I'm blown away by this, man. I really am in the fighter meeting in the setting today. You know, I'm trying to get in like a cold plunge for like 30 seconds before I perish. This dude's like tripling down on cold exposure during training camp. Uh, tremendous fighter, tremendous coaches, and uh, we're excited to see what Mike Malak can do. Thanks to proper Mike Malak. Thanks to Roger Crawl. Thanks to a very prepared Ray Longo for checking in today. Uh, and thanks to all of you for ingesting this content, either on the DraftKings Network or the DraftKings YouTube channel, or of course, on the audio side. We appreciate every last listener out there as well. We're right back on Monday. We'll recap the Tory and Canadier and uh, Big Gun Brian Petrie and Kempflo both back with predictions for uh, the next UFC fight night coming up on June 24th. Our producer is Cody Merrill putting it all together. Thank you all for listening, for watching. I'm John Anik. Until next time, yo fucking later. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. 
1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.